From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. A few more hours left to vote, and one of the big issues, of course, is Referendum 88 on Affirmative Action. We're going to talk to a supporter and an opponent. The supporter is former Representative Jesse Weinberry, Democrat, and the opponent is Senator Shelley Short, who's near Spokane. So, uh, Jesse, I'm going to ask you first. The signs I saw in my neighborhood uh, say, uh, oppose discrimination, vote no on 88. You don't agree with that? I agree with the first part. Uh-huh. It's what uh, it's what referendum 88 uh, and I-1000 are all about, opposing discrimination, especially discrimination based on someone's age. But does it allow discrimination in that it brings back affirmative action, which implies that you can give preferential treatment to a person based on race, color, ethnicity, religion, et cetera? I think back maybe 20 years ago that was the case. But with I-1000, uh, preferential treatment is prohibited. Uh, quotas are prohibited. And so that helps actually uh, eliminate any fears or reasons to think that voting for referendum 88 means uh, discrimination. So I w- we agree with the first part, no on discrimination. But we uh, have a different view on how you should vote, and that is to approve I-1000 on Referendum 88. So preferential treatment is prohibited, but you redefine preferential treatment as judging solely on race, sex, or color. So there can be some accounting for race, sex, and color, can't there? No. As a matter of Not fact, at all. As a matter of fact, the definition of, of preferential treatment is that you cannot elevate someone with lesser qualifications based solely on age or race or gender. And so that's the specific definition in the statute. So, Senator Short, is that your understanding of what passing referendum 88 would mean? No, actually not at all. I, I think the definition is so narrowly construed and, and with just one factor that, that, in fact, it would be virtually impossible um, you know, should an individual believe that preferential treatment was given um, solely based on race, age, and gender, and, and all of the other things described, I think the bar is so high it would be really incredibly difficult for somebody to fight that. And I want to take an issue with the quotas, too. Um, you've got this massive bureaucracy that that is going to be tasked with reports back to the governor as well as enforcement. Um, my time in the legislature has always been that numbers matter and that that becomes the easiest vehicle by which you you determine whether or not, um, you know, these public entities are in fact meeting, uh, you know, what what is going to be potentially the law. And so I, I actually believe that it is going to engage and become a quota issue. So how can we figure out who's right? Jesse, can you give me an example of what kind of situation would be allowed under I-1000, a.k.a. Referendum 88, that would not have been allowed before? Well, one of the things that you that you had before I-200 were situations— And I-200 prohibited affirmative action. I'm sorry. Pro, okay. uh, I-200 uh, pretty much killed affirmative yeah. action for only two groups, Dave. It was, it's interesting. Only two groups that are represented by both people on this call, for women and for people of color. Senator Short is a very successful and powerful woman in Washington State. I-200 prohibited any uh, consideration of her gender for anyone seeking a college education, for anyone seeking a public uh, government job, and for anyone seeking a public or government contract. 
And so what we have seen over the last 21 years with I-200 is a plummeting of people of color getting into colleges and universities, uh, almost an absence of a a greater representation of women in in science, technology, engineering, and math at the University of Washington and other state colleges. And so in Right, but how does this solve that? So then what does this change that would change that condition without without imposing some sort of preference? Well, Well, no preference. Preferential treatment, again, is defined by the courts, not by I-1000, by the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, and by our state Supreme Court as taking someone with lesser qualifications and using only one factor to elevate them over someone with superior qualifications. So give me an example of how Referendum 88 would help a woman get ahead in a way she cannot get ahead now. Here's how it would help a woman. One, number one, you have a woman with equal qualifications. Equal qualifications. With a man with equal qualifications. Yes. But they are applying for a job where there are almost no women right mm-hmm. now. That's when her gender would be taken into account to increase diversity in that workforce. And finally, we would get a woman where there may now only be So it's men. a tiebreaker is what you're saying. Well, it can be used as a tiebreaker, but it, but it get, that can never be the only factor. That's why that woman had to first be qualified. Right. She had to match the qualifications of the other individuals. These are the two people with exactly the same qualifications, so yes. it's a tie on qualifications in a case like that, gender or race or these other, or these well, other or factors. Age, or, or age. Or age. Or disability. Could, all, could be used as a tiebreaker. Right. Okay, so, so Senator Short, what about that? Is there something wrong with that? So I, I actually, I look at my service to the state of Washington, and I look at all of the advancements that have been made that have, that have actually channeled and supported women and people of color and disabled individuals. I look at the Office of Minority and Women-Owned Business. That's, that is a, an agency in the governor's cabinet whose, whose sole um, you know, mission is to engage women and minorities in, in public contracting I look at how many, you know, just the diverse um, number of women and, and individuals of race that are serving in the legislature. I look at them in my community. I served on higher ed. I see more individuals than ever. Um, I, I look at campuses. I was recently at Eastern Washington University. It's amazing. I, I call it a melting pot. To me, it just it just typifies what we've done in our country um, throughout time and throughout our constitution and commitment, um, you know, to people having opportunity here. But, but I, I would actually um, just add one thing. Um, we are always going to strive to do better. But instead of, you know, just, just taking the current system and just completely replacing it, you know, let's look at increased mentorship opportunities and things like that. You know, part of getting women into STEM is actually even just engaging them in their interests. Some some young ladies don't even know that they're interested or that that's a potential for them. And so let's tap into that through our, our public education system in our community. But you're saying there are ample opportunities without this change. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're going on today. If that were the case, uh, Dave and Senator, uh, with all due respect, uh, you've talked about some campuses where you've been. I would ask you, what percent right now, uh, uh, Latinx in our community are nearly 11 percent of the population. Please tell us what campus, the University of Washington, Central Washington, Eastern, uh, WSU, what campus has 11 percent 
uh, Hispanic, Mexican-American, or Latino uh, students in their student body? So well, the, my well, the, well, the reason would be the reason many... why that you're not able to answer is because none of them do. None of them do. Well, now, hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on just a second. Well, they, they don't. I, my response, no, my response back to that is how many of them have applied and been denied? Well, th- that's, okay, so... I can answer that. Uh, last year, uh, or uh, the last academic year, uh, there were uh, 22% of Hispanics that applied to the University of Washington. You want to guess how, what percentage were admitted under the current law of I-200? How many? 7%. 7%. And most of those individuals, the 22% that applied to the University of Washington, were all accepted at, at, at other universities. So they still got their college education, but not at the college of their dreams and not at the college that they were entitled to be admitted to because the current law prohibits the use of race or gender when it comes to college admissions. And so we are li- literally hurting our state when we are taking qualified individuals, shutting the door on them because of a law that uh, only one of 42 states abides by, and sending them off to other uh, uh, colleges and universities outside of Washington, many of those students never return and bring their talents back home. But Jesse, and I-1000 saying, cures that. Are you saying that those were equally qualified? Because that's the whole premise here, that they would have to have been exactly. equally qualified. How did, how did you score that? Well, they were qualified. They were qualified enough to get accepted at other colleges and universities. Well, the, they just they they just weren't. Uh, the U Dub's qualifications are pretty high these days. Well, the U Dub's is one of the top twenty five schools in the country. Yes, but that's why that's why affirmative action has been a bridge to allow people not solely based on their test scores and not solely based on their GPA to be admitted to universities and get the support that they need to do well so that they, when they graduate and walk across that stage with their degree, they are, quite, they are able to contribute to our state and our workforce and our country. Right. That, that sounds good. But I mean, for your statistics to make sense, you would have to have some proof that those people who qualify, who apply to the U and were admitted to other schools, were admitted to schools whose qualifications or the requirements for admission were equal to the UWs. Well, a number of them, I th- I'm glad you mentioned that, a number of them were actually admitted to Washington State <laughs> University. And so they were still able to get their college mm-hmm. education. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, these young people... You're not, you're not answering his question, if I might interject here, though. Well, I, I, I answered I answered a, or another state, the other top state university, which is over in, in eastern Washington right, the quali- with you. The qualifications are different, though, for the the two schools. Well, what's the difference? Absolutely. You need to take the qualifications at University of Washington say that each of those individuals who are not accepted were indeed equal and that the only matter, the only reason they didn't get in is because of race. No, no, no. We, we, we were talking about race. We were talking about competitive students applying to a school that had on the other side of those doors an education that they needed to compete in the workforce. And we should be not shutting doors or narrowing doors based on solely test scores and based on solely GPAs, but opening the door for people regardless of their age, regardless of their disability, regardless of their military status, regardless of their gender, so that everyone can have an equal opportunity to succeed. But it sounds like you want to change the qualifications at the, at the UW. I mean, if not the, at all. There, I thought there was the, there's actually a specific grade point average cutoff 
depending on what the what the admission pressure is at the UW, right? The good news is that the University of Washington, from the president to the board of trustees, I mean, to the board of regents, all the way down into their faculty, have come and testified, basically saying that they need I-1000 because mm-hmm. they feel their hands are tied, because they cannot recruit and engage in outreach to bring in people who are who are based on their okay, age? Okay, Senator Shore, what about that? If, if, if the oh, universities I, I themselves totally di- are, are asking I totally for that. disagree. There, there is no well, law I just gave on you the Washington fact. State books. Excuse me. There's no law on the Washington State books that would prevent the University of Washington from engaging and recruiting or or really reaching out to interested individuals in in categories that are not currently served by there. There's none. In fact. If you look at state law, the Human Rights Commission, all of that, we are prohibited in Washington State. Public entities are from discrimination. The thing that Jesse talks about is is outright discrimination, and that and that completely and patently is not allowed in Washington State at all. And if you take Initiative 1000, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. On one hand, he say, "Oh, but we want, you know, we just want race to be a factor, you know, if if everything." I'm not else talking is about equal. race at all. Well, sure you are. You're talking about no, race. Not. You're talking about gender. You keep talking about women. And well, that's and not so, race. Fact, I mean, race, race and gender are two different things. And one of the one of the I mean, people can go to I two hundred and they can see it's right there. It says the state shall not shall be prohibited from using gender and race as factors for admissions in in education in employment, and in contracting. That's why the University of Washington is supporting I-1000. The UW Daily has just come out in support of I-1000. Because you want them to be allowed to use race. Because they want, not not as a sole factor, but certainly they don't want government to restrict them from using any factor which is going to be influential in their decisions. But, I mean, you would use race. You would use sex as a tiebreaker and as a Or indeed, age. Or, 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 well, or whatever. disability. But th- th- those are not things that might necessarily qualify you one way or the other for university education. That's usually based on either a portfolio of work or a GPA or a test scores. The right? great thing about I-1000 is that the first thing in the language says you must first be qualified. So, yes, you must be bringing competitive grades. You still are going to have to bring competitive test scores. But with with all things being equal and with the mission of the universities to increase diversity in their student body and their faculty, for that matter, so that ultimately we increase diversity in the workplace, they want and they have come and testified, and the senator knows this, actually pleading for the passage of this law so that they can use race and gender as a factor if they need it when they are uh, admitting students into their universities. Okay, so Senator, you know, what, I have to, go ahead. I have to think if uh, Martin Luther King would, would have um, approved of this today. You know, one of the amazing things about his service throughout our nation, and, and his mantra was, we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And if you look at the Civil Rights, you know, the, the National Civil Rights Act of 1974, no preferential treatment based on race, sex, color, ethnicity or national origin to me what you are doing is taking steps backward and i think instead of bringing us together as a as a society and and as a nation of people in our state you're you're continuing to divide people not unite people and let's talk about veterans you know well, wait a minute wait a minute senator have- you made an accusation and you actually use me as though i'm i-1000 first of all i'm not the law and and what we have seen from i-1000 
is the kind of language that has attracted the support. It's interesting you mentioned Dr. King because Dr. King's son, Martin Luther King III, has come out. He was the first national leader to endorse I-1000. And what he said in his statement is that it reflected the principles of his father. Secondly, when you talk about division, I-1000 is one of the few state initiatives that has received the support from Eastern Washington uh, newspapers as well as Western Washington newspaper. Matter of fact, your newspaper, the Spokane Spokesman Review, has endorsed I-1000, as well as the Yakima uh, Herald, as well as the Wenatchee World, as well as, of course, the Seattle Times, the Stranger, the Olympian, the News Tribune. I mean, all of the state's newspapers have actually come in terms in, in terms of any division, it's been the act, it's the it's been the uh, opposite. They have become unified under the principles of I one thousand because they reflect the principles of Dr. King. Now let me let me well, ask this question. Think- let me ask this question, uh, Jesse. You've pretty much acknowledged that part of the purpose of this uh, of this referendum is to allow race to be a factor. You're allowed to notice race when you're making a selection because you're saying that what we have now is not enough. And it has not helped. You need this to increase diversity. I wish I could say that. But unfortunately, the numbers bear out differently. The most the, the majority of the people that I-1000 is going to benefit are the people in Washington state who are, are 40 years and over. Because in Washington state, that's where the 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 statutory age is for AIDS discrimination. And so because so it's going to benefit older people, it's mainly going to benefit older people because we prohibit discrimination in the workplace, we prohibit discrimination in education for those who need to go back to but school. It's also got to benefit skills. black people and women. Otherwise, why would you support it? Well, because I'm I'm also a senior. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I mean, you may so you're you supporting may, it not as a black man, but as an old person. I'm I'm supporting <laughs> it as a as a guy that's 64, about to be 65 <laughs> in February, and and we know from experience that retirement and Social Security alone don't okay. pay all the bills. All right, You've but got so, to go back but, to work. But you want you've these, got to go back. To you school. want these aspects to be part of the consideration. And and Senator Short does not. So that's that's my question to you, Senator Short. If and you you are concerned with diversity as well, you want to make sure that everybody gets a fair shot. How how okay? So how can you achieve racial uh, age and uh, sex diversity without considering those factors? I think you can, and and we already have been doing that. And as we have issues that come up in the legislature or in our communities or in our local governments, we deal with it at that level. Um, if there are issues of age discrimination that come up and other issues that we've talked about on this call, there are ample opportunities to do that through through legislation, through regulation, and those kinds of things. Um, I don't believe, again, that we need to upend the entire thing um, just to, to actually deal with situations that are occurring. But I want to get back to, you know, there are just as many individuals, diverse individuals, against I-1000 in the referendum campaign as they are. So, so you have both um, a lot of uh, bipartisan support and opposition. So you can't say it solely in one camp. But the one thing that we have not talked about is is the impact of veterans. You know, this initiative removes, completely removes, a longstanding over 100-year precedent that, that specifically allows veteran preference. And there's no, there's no reason to do that. You know, they could have taken the initiative and said, you know, we're going to keep that in place. And instead, they water it down and say, well, gosh, now you're one of the categories. And and to me, when you take a person's service to their country, 
you know, there's there's no reason. There's no reason to get rid of what has been longstanding precedent. So, Jesse, why was and that this initiative does that? It wasn't changed. I'm 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 sorry that uh, the the opposition has convinced the senator that something has happened that has never happened. What we did. Uh, in consultation with the, with the uh, a coalition of veterans, is we expanded the the uh, veteran preferences. We strengthened it because currently, under state law, under the state law that senator uh, that the senator has has allowed to uh, exist, veterans who fought in the Vietnam era and veterans who are disabled are the only two category of veterans that receive affirmative action under state law. And these veterans deserve it, but so do the veterans that have fought in the many, 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 many other wars. And so what we have done is basically said that every soldier, man or woman, no matter what branch they served in, no matter what war they fought in, is entitled to affirmative action as long as they finish with an honorable discharge. And so that has expanded the veteran coverage, too. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the Veterans Legislative Coalition, that includes the Air Force, that includes the Army, that includes the Marines, the National Guard, veterans of foreign wars, they came together and unanimously endorsed I-1000. So this Certainly. means that being a veteran actually even trumps qualifications. No, it no. does not. Again, under I-1000, first and foremost, you must be qualified. And then mm-hmm. other factors can be added well, then on Senator, top of those Senator Short, what, what has changed then? So I think, I think what, what has changed in this initiative, he just said it, it's one of the factors. The current state law says that if you are a veteran that's honorably discharged and you've served your country, period, you get a preference. That's taken away. by right. just Regardless of whether you're qualified or not. It, exactly. Exactly. And so what I would say, if I, I find it interesting that all of a sudden there are veterans groups that haven't been served by longstanding policy and that that issue has never come up in the legislature to, in fact, who, which I would support to include other, you know, honorably discharged veteran groups who have served since then. But that that issue in my time in the legislature has never, ever come up. And I can guarantee you that it would have. I think this is a a smokescreen, and I get back to the point that, in fact, it dilutes and waters down what has been longstanding preference and and makes it just as if, you know, you were dealing with um, gender or race or or these other things instead of setting it apart as longstanding statute has. Let me just say, I'm a a little surprised that that there was a category that trumps qualifications. I mean, in other words, if somebody applied for a the job of, um, I don't know, bulldozer operator, but had never operated a bulldozer, but he's a veteran, he'd have to get the job? No, no. So what it ends up doing is if they have the qualifications, they get they, that is something in addition to it. Well, it's in addition but that's to what, it. But that's what Jesse's point. talking about with these other categories, too. Well, yeah, I can. My whole point is it gets. I think I need to help it. here because, because she's referring to a couple of statutes, and one of them. And I hate to bore your listeners, but uh, for those who are Googling, it's RCW 4104-010. And uh, it says, Veteran Scoring Criteria Status in in Examinations for Public Employment. First, they must pass the exam. And then it says, we add to the passing mark, grade, or rating 10% to a veteran who served during a period of war, 5% to a veteran who did not serve during a period of war, and 5% to a veteran who was called to active military service from employment. Oh, well, that adds to the score then. 
Now that's now you're not now is that the way the race consideration works as well? You're going to add to the score it all, because because for these jobs they have to take an everyone has to take an examination for these jobs, right. and so that that supports their their resume and other qualifications how they score. But then they get points on top of that if they're veterans, and so that's why we say that it's that the veteran status is an is in addition to their qualifications and in this case it's their qualifications plus their scoring on the examination for the job this gets confusing i mean what the exam ideally would tell us if you're suited to the job regardless of who you are where you came from uh, but you're saying in the case of veterans you actually get points added to your score on the exam now, does that also apply to people who, uh, because of their race or their sex, do they get points out of the exam? No. You're saying no. So that's a very special thing just for veterans. Yes, that's the preference. So they're that- the only group that gets the actual score added to their exam. Yes. Okay. But, but here's the, so here's the thing I would add on top of that, though. So if you take a look at the spirit of I-1000 and you say, okay, we we want – we want something else to be considered if if you have two equally individuals. So what are you going to do if you have two equally individuals and one happens to be an African-American and one happens to be a veteran? Who's going to get right. that job then? Sounds like and the veteran me, will, because the veteran you know, trumps everything. I-1000, it's not clear because everybody is considered equal at that point. No, but I-1000 also says that that veteran status can be used in addition to their qualifications, just mm-hmm. as it says in current state law. Okay, but let's take this example. If the black man, say, uh, aces the test, and the veteran takes the test, and he also, with the additional points he gets for being a, a veteran, also gets 100% on the test. That can't happen? No, that's a, that's a good example because, yes, that's prohibited. So the first step of qualifications is how they score on that exam. In your example, you had the African-American actually score higher than the veteran. Yeah. The only way the veteran will get the job is if the additional points puts him over the over. African-American uh, uh, total score. I see. Is, that, ex- the, is that, that acceptable, and, Senator? And that's still and that's still the law. I would actually say that that, given minimum qualifications and the other things that the Supreme Court has recognized in our veteran community, that in fact they would have lesser stature, not equal stature, and that's been that's been my concern all the way along. Okay, I'll just I I think we've gone round and round about this, but I, I appreciate getting both sides. I will say I hope I live long enough to to see a world where none of this stuff has to matter. Because we just choose people who can do the job fairly. I wouldn't disagree with anybody. You there. Disagree with that? No, we we hope we. Well, that that means we have to live a long, 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 long time. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> well, there are certain therapies that you can use. Uh, Jesse Weinberry, former state representative, and Senator Shelley Short. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.